It's been a good morning thus far, church. Uh, Our God is good that we don't need any other plea than Christ's blood. Um, Today we're going to spend our time in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So that's 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 13. And if you want to use the Pew Bible, that's going to be on page 995. So again, 2 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 13, and the Pew Bible, that's 995. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love for you to take this home. Let it be our gift to you today that you could take home a copy of God's Word and that it would change you as you read it. We wholeheartedly believe that it will, and we think that it would be a blessing to you. So would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today, we are asking that you you would do a good work in us as we listen to your word, that that your Holy Spirit would give us ears to hear and eyes to see your truth from it, and that you would, uh, that you would apply it to our life. You'd help us to see areas uh, that perhaps we fall short and that we'd repent and we'd respond and worship, submitting to you. But I even ask that you would help us to see areas in our life where we are being faithful to what we're going to look at today. That we'd be encouraged by it. And even as we see uh, your faithfulness in us to, to help us live in accordance to your word, that it would only encourage us to continue living faithfully. And so we ask that you would do that today, and it's in your son's name I pray, amen. Many times when you perhaps are talking with people who don't know Christ, or, or even people of, of a different faith, or who say they believe in Jesus, um, perhaps they even think you need to do things to enter heaven, and you talk about faith with them. And you say that salvation is dependent upon faith alone. Sometimes people struggle with that. They struggle with trying to understand that salvation comes to us by faith and faith in Christ and nothing else. Sometimes you may hear that called easy believism, right? Where somebody says, well, that, so all I've got to do is believe and then I can live however I want. And then you understand they don't really get it. They don't understand that to have faith means you are changed drastically and radically by Christ. But even for those of us who perhaps even understand that salvation is by God's grace through faith alone, sometimes we live like easy believism. Sometimes we will believe in Jesus, but we just tend to add him on to life. And we think we're doing good and we're good Christians because he makes us a little more generous or a little more kind, perhaps even a little more forgiving towards others. But Jesus hasn't come just to add something on to you and not just to make you a little more kind. But he's come that he might drastically and radically change us because salvation, it's dying to self. It's giving up everything that we want and saying, I'll follow Christ 
whatever the cost. And so we as disciples of Christ, we're called to imitate Jesus and we're called to live for the salvation of others. And so as we are about to read 2 Timothy, I want you to keep in mind Paul's writing to Timothy. You might even think of Timothy as, uh, as Paul's son in the faith, someone he spent time with. And Paul's writing, this is his second time in prison in Rome. And it's right before his death. He even knows this, his death is probably going to be very soon if you read um, chapter 4, verse 6. He would even say, my time of departure has come. So as we read these, think of these as Paul's last words to Timothy. He's trying to encourage his son in the faith, this minister of the gospel, to carry on. And as he speaks to Timothy, I think he is also speaking to us. So read with me, beginning in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so as we're reading this, we we should be seeing this mentor, this disciple or Paul writing to Timothy saying, remember Christ and even in fact remember my own life. Because Timothy's actually lived with Paul. He spent time with Paul. And so Paul wants him to remember Jesus. He wants him to remember Christ. And he even says when he's talking about Jesus, he says, remember the risen Christ. He's raised from the dead. And then he also says, he's the offspring of David. So he's telling us about Jesus and about himself. And so we see in the life of Christ and the life of Paul, that Christians are to preach for the salvation of others. He says, I want you to preach. He says, I've even preached with my gospel. And so what is this that Paul's preached? Right? There, there are many teachers out there saying lots of different things. But what is it specifically that Paul's taught this gospel He even tells us, he gives us a hint, right? Jesus, risen from the dead. He is divine. He's not just some guy who's died and and then was raised from the dead. Because Jesus actually raised some people from the dead. But there's something distinct that's different that we know about Jesus. We know he's lived a perfect life. He died a death. Not for his own sin, but for us. And so Paul's saying, remember the risen Christ, not just so that you only remember his resurrection, but remember his life, remember his death, remember his resurrection. And he's been raised. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. So we see this divine nature, but we also see this humanity, right? He's the offspring of David. 
thousands of years before Christ came, we're looking forward to this Messiah who's going to come and save his people. This is the gospel that Paul preaches. He's saying you have a need for salvation because God has created you. He made you perfect. He made you in his image. But you sinful men and women, Christ has died for you because you can't get your way back to God. You have a need for a Savior. And this same gospel is not just presenting truth, but Paul's calling for a response. He wants others to know Christ. He wants others to bow a knee. And so this gospel... Those of you who may possibly be here not, not yet having placed faith in Christ, this is the gospel Paul's preaching. This is the gospel I want you to hear today. You can't earn your way to Christ. You can't earn your way to God. You have to place faith in Him. But it's not just the gospel for non-believers. It's also the gospel for believers because who's he writing to? He's writing to Timothy. Timothy is one who's placed faith in Christ. He is a minister of the gospel. And so he's talking to us too. He's saying, you who have placed faith in Christ, remember this gospel. That it might encourage you, but also that you might preach it to others. That they might know, that others might hear your preaching, your teaching, your sharing Christ, that they might bow a knee to him. And so this gospel that Paul preaches, what's the result of it? Well, we see in the passage, it's resulted in his imprisonment. Not just once, but this is the second time just in Rome he's been imprisoned. But it doesn't just stop there, right? And sometimes we think with movements and a great leader that has great crowds following him, we expect when the leader goes down, whether it's imprisonment or he dies, Many times we expect the movement to end, to subside. But that's not Paul's idea. That's not what Paul says. He says, I am imprisoned, but God's word cannot be bound. Read that with me again, verse 9. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. So Paul is being being chained and treated like an evildoer, like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. So the preacher preaching the gospel knows he's in prison, but he has happiness, he has joy, because God's word goes on. Even though he's bound, it doesn't stop. It continues working in the hearts of people. The people he shared the gospel with. The same people he even shared the gospel with Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, I want you now to preach this gospel. That it may abound. No matter what happens to you, I want it to abound in you. Raymond Lull thought the same exact thing before his death in 1314. Lull crossed all over Europe, meeting with kings and popes and cardinals and He's asking them to think about developing missions agencies, essentially is what it is, where they would train up people to learn Muslim culture, 
and to go make disciples in Muslim nations. And so what he does is he forms this three-point plan. And part of it, or, or, or the three points are first to learn Muslim, to, to learn Arabic and Middle Eastern languages. The second is to learn Muslim culture, to be able to dialogue with them. And the third, send them out. Don't just gain knowledge for yourself, but learn how to converse with the people, know the people, and preach the gospel to them. And you know what it cost him? Three trips. He went to Islamic-controlled northern Africa. The first time, he was kicked out after several imams requested baptism. He came back a second time, imprisoned for six months and let go. The third time, while he was in his 80s, August 14, 1314, he sailed a third time to Islamic North Africa. He preached Christ openly for a year, and he was brutally stoned. But he got it. He knew it. When he preached, the gospel didn't end with his death. It continued to grow and abound. He knew the cost. He knew preaching, open preaching, was going to cost him something. It cost him the first two times he got sent home. The second time, he was in prison. The third time, he knew it's only getting worse. It's going to cost me my life. But he said, for the salvation of others, I'm willing to preach. I want them to know of Jesus Christ. And so as I'm reading this, thinking about this, the same question comes to me. Am I willing? Are you willing to preach the gospel no matter what it costs you so that others might know Christ? Didn't seem to to stop Paul. Didn't seem to stop Jesus. Let's preach the gospel. Let imprisonment not stop us because we, we may think going overseas may cost us something. Or perhaps you are shy from sharing the gospel at work because you're afraid it may cost you a job. Or it may cost you promotion at work. Or in the neighborhood, it might cost you something with your neighbors. My kids, actually, um, this week, it's actually quite convicting we pray for a number of people each night when we have dinner together. And uh, the past couple of weeks, we've been praying for neighbors, for their salvation. And our next-door neighbor specifically, we, we've known her for about a year. We've had, she knows I'm a youth pastor. She knows I'm, I, I work here. Um, and we've been slowly trying to develop a relationship with her. And so we're praying for her salvation. We know at one point she used to go to church. And so we just, we asked the kids, let's pray tonight. This was last Sunday. Let's pray tonight that God would give us an opportunity to share Christ with our neighbor. And I'm thinking, you know, like this might be a couple of months down the road. We spend a little bit more time with her. We have her over for dinner. And then we'll, we'll have that really good opportunity, right? Well, my kids, um, not knowing social norms like a lot of kids do, which praise God for this, uh, thir- I think it was Thursday afternoon, I'm coming home. 
I'm pulling up in the driveway, need to go in and see Jessica real quick, and I see two of my kids going over. I see them walking to the neighbor's house, but I have no clue what they're going to do. And I get inside, and Jessica said, I, I think our kids are going to tell, talk to Stephanie about Jesus. And I'm expecting, Dad's going to be the one leading them in this. Dad's going to be the one that initiates the conversation. But instead, my kids, are, are, their goal is to, to tell her about Jesus. And so I go over, after I talk with Jessica for a second, and, and I go over and talk to her, and, and they're sitting down on her front doorstep just talking about Jesus. Does she go to church? Does she know Him? Let us preach the gospel. Let us not be so concerned with social norms that yes, we want to have relationships. Yes, we want to know the people we share Christ with. But also there comes a time where you just need to share Christ. Let Him be the one that blazes the trail. Because His word can't be bound. But also because we preach the salvation for others, it also requires that we be ready to suffer for the salvation of others. Read with me in verse 10. Paul says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul is saying here, expect suffering. You preach the gospel, expect suffering. He says, I endure everything. And think about Paul's life. I want to read just, just one passage to you from 2 Corinthians where he recounts his life. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Did you get that? It's like everywhere the guy goes, he incurs suffering. But then listen to what he says in verse 28 of 2 Corinthians 11. And apart from other things. So on top of all the physical stuff, Apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So Paul goes through suffering, physical suffering. But he's also at anguish for the churches because as he suffers physical things, he's trying to labor for their salvation. I hope that you and I can do this. I think if you also consider the life of Jesus, as Paul reminds us, you might think of his life as one big, entire, lifelong suffering. He left heaven, the perfect place, came to earth, filled with sinful men. He taught God's word with greater accuracy and insight than anyone else in what happened almost every time he taught. He had the religious people on his back, accusing him trying to test him, catch him. So what can they do? They can catch him and, and kill him. And then he goes all the way to the cross, the sinless one, the perfect one, never, ever 
rebelled against God, but yet suffers death for you and I, that we might have salvation in Him. And, and even the words of Jesus, listen to this, John fifteen twenty. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So when you preach the gospel, when you're laboring, when you live your life for the salvation of others, expect suffering. Paul suffered. Christ suffered. Saints throughout the ages have suffered when they have preached Christ. It's not going to be any different for you and I, so just go ahead and expect it. That's the good news. Right? You're not receiving it as good news. And I understand that. But there is good news. The goal is not that we suffer. The goal of our suffering is the salvation of others. Paul even says in Romans 9.3, For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. So Paul's saying, I would not just suffer physical things in this world. He says, I would even wish that I could be cut off from Christ. Now, at this point I'm thinking, Paul, you might be a little crazy. You're willing to give up eternal security with God, that the Jews, your brothers, might have salvation? Are you serious? I think you might be. I think we see from his life, he didn't care what it cost him. He didn't care what suffering he may incur, whether physical or emotional. He's willing to give his life for the salvation of others. I hope in some of this there's a bit of conviction. But I also hope that, that there's encouragement. This isn't intended to be just beat up on everybody at church today. Paul's not intending to beat up on Timothy. Paul's intending for this to be an encouragement to him. He's saying, remember Christ, remember me, remember what you've learned. You're going to incur suffering, but guess what? That's not where it's going to end. Your goal is the salvation of others. And even Paul says in his suffering, he does it with joy. Colossians 1.24 Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. In all our affliction I am overflowing with joy. And then Jesus even teaches in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So when you suffer for righteousness' sake, You'll be blessed. So you can take joy in that, but it goes on. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And listen to this. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven. So as you suffer, as you labor for the salvation of other people, Jesus even says, rejoice in that because it's earning for you a great reward. And one day you're going to be with your God in heaven. And it will be far worth it. Any cost you have today, it will be worth it. So young people, this world is probably only going to get more difficult for you to live in. Our country, 
it's probably only going to get more difficult for you to stand for Christ. So be ready. Expect suffering. And listen to this. John Patton. If you don't know him, he'd be a great man to go read up on. Missionary. He went to the islands of the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. And if you don't know his story, he is trying to get ready to go overseas. And this man, an older man, Mr. Dixon, says this. Why would you go? There's cannibals there. You will be eaten by cannibals. Right? These islands are filled with cannibals. But Patton says this. And I'm sure he said it with great Christian love to an older man. But he says this. Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if, that if I can live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in likeness of our risen Redeemer. He got it. It doesn't matter what's going to come my way. I could die a slow death on the golf course or in my garden or at work. And then I'd be laid in the ground and be eaten by worms. Or I could live for Christ. Whether that means being eaten by cannibals or losing your job or having your neighbors talk about you. Are you willing to suffer? Paul's encouraging us to preach the gospel and to suffer for the salvation of others. But also he's encouraging us to live for the salvation of others. So read with me in verses 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So Paul is encouraging Timothy to join him in suffering, to join him in preaching the gospel so that others might be saved. And, and it's not explicit here, right? But even just the opening words of verse 11, this saying is trustworthy. Paul wants Timothy to get it. He, Paul, Paul wants Timothy to believe it and to live it. He wants him to live for the salvation of others. And so as we read these, these four lines, the first two, you see, have good promises for us. Right? For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. Sounds very familiar to Romans 6, 8, and 11. Listen to this. Now if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with Him. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So if we place faith in Christ, if we die with Christ, we'll be raised with Him, we'll live with Him. So Christian, today, you have died with Christ. Continue living for Him, for the salvation of others. But it also says, if we endure we will also reign with Him. 
So this endurance, it's not saying you can't ever have lapses of faith, right? Even Peter himself, Matthew 26. Christ is, is before Pilate, and, and two little girls come up to him. Two separate occasions. I, I, know, I know you. Weren't you with Jesus? And what does he do? He denies them twice, two different times. And he does it shortly right after that, a third time. But what do we know about Peter? That wasn't the end. He continued on. He lived for Christ. And so this endurance that, that is being talked about in this verse is saying endure everything. Endure suffering. That you might reign with Christ. You might rule with Christ when he comes again to set up his kingdom. So we have great promises here in these two lines. And then we get to lines 3 and 4. Some commentators see here uh, a, a great continuity between verses, uh, or lines 3 and 4. Let's look at verse, or, or line 3 now where he says, If you deny Christ, he will deny you. We also heard the same words from Jesus when he says, If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. That makes sense, right? We deny Christ, we don't have faith, then He will too likewise deny us. And it's not a surprise, He's told us that. But then the difficulty comes in with line 4. Read that with me. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. Well, Paul, you just told me if, if I deny Christ, then Christ will deny me. Now you're saying, if I'm faithful, Christ remains, or if, if I'm faithless, Christ remains faithful. So, is Paul crazy? Is he contradicting himself? Well, I, I don't think so. And so this is where the difficulty comes in. Commentators, uh, many th- smart theologians, they, they, they differ on this. Some will say that this last line, if we're faithless, that he will remain faithful is, is meant to encourage. And some say this is more of a warning. And so where I come down on this is I see the first two lines as being parallels and then the last two lines being parallels. So, so look at this with me again. If we have died with him, compares to if we endure. And then if we live with him, we will also reign with him. Those two are both positives, good things. And then these last two lines, three and four, if we deny him, and here think more like Judas. If you've been with Christ, perhaps you maybe have walked with him, you've grown up in the church. But yet, like Judas, spent time with Jesus, but never had faith. Then you can also trust in this warning that Christ will be faithful. He'll be faithful to his character. He'll be faithful to his warning. If you have faith, if you've died with him, you'll live with him. If you endure with him, you'll reign with him. If you don't have faith, he's going to be faithful to his warning, to the coming judgment. So I think that's what Paul means here. That Christ will remain faithful to his promise of judgment. And so there's a great warning here. 
as a warning. And Paul's saying, Timothy, preach for the salvation of others. Suffer for the salvation of others. I want you to believe this because it's a trustworthy saying. I want you to live this for the salvation of others. Remain faithful to your God. And just like Hmong Christians, this February in Laos, there were four families, between them 26 adults and children. The Buddhist leaders in their village said, you can either, you've got a choice. You can either follow Christ and be kicked out of your village or you can deny Christ and remain here with us. And you know what they did? They chose to live for Christ. They gave up everything they had, their homes, their jobs, their possessions. And what's the response? Them living for the salvation of others. There were eight more that saw them living for Christ and turned and followed Christ too. So 32 people were taken away from the village. Men were beaten as they're being drug away because they're living for the salvation of others. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. And we even see something similar with Jesus, right? Hebrews 12, 2. It says, But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus, in joy, lived in a life obedient to, Christ, to, to the Father, enduring the cross. He's living for the salvation of those who place their faith in Him. And so non-believer, if you're here today because somebody drug you here, or even perhaps you're, you're just interested, I've, I've heard people talk about Jesus. Christ has died for you. He's suffered for you. He's preached the gospel. He preached about himself coming for you. That you might have life in him. That you might hear even today and believe. And for us believers, those of you who have said, I follow Christ, I'm going to preach Christ, I'm going to suffer for Christ, I want to encourage you to live for him. I think that the words of John Stott summarize this well. The place of suffering is hardly ever taught today. But the greatest single secret of evangelistic or missionary effectiveness is the willingness to suffer and die. It may be death to popularity or to racial and national prejudice by identification with another culture or to material comfort by adopting a simpler lifestyle. But the servant must suffer if he is to bring light to the nations and seed must die if it's to multiply. Did you hear that? He's saying you and I, to live for the salvation of others, we either need to get rid of racial and and national prejudice and be willing to acclimate to a new culture. Think missionary going overseas. But he doesn't limit it to that. You and I, if you've placed faith in Christ, every single one of us are called to this. It may cost you death to popularity. It may cost you material comfort so that you might be able to live a 
a simpler lifestyle. That you might suffer. Right? If you preach Christ at work, it may cost you the promotion. You don't have a little extra income to live off of. But for the salvation of others, it's promised. It's worth it. So I encourage you that the Christian response to God is endurance. The Christian response to suffering is to persevere and to live for Christ. So would you pray with me now? Father, we come to you today. We ask that that you would make much of yourself from this passage, that you would remind us of what you've done for us, that, that we wouldn't be afraid to preach, that we wouldn't be afraid to tell others about Christ in our home, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, with those on the ball team, with parents, with kids on the ball team. Would you give us a great hunger to see others know you, that we're willing to preach and that we're willing to suffer, that we might live for the salvation of others. We thank you for the example of Christ. We thank you for the the life and death and resurrection of Christ. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.